Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Ajax delivery. Gendouzi's header. And the finish of the near post from Lucas Paqueta. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Fire again. A goal Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. Hello and welcome to Le Beau It's me, Ian Holyman, in the hot seat once again. You'll have to excuse me if the sound is a little bit muffled. I thought I'd take a leaf out of the footballer's books and just cover my mouth when I'm talking so nobody can lip-read me. We've got uh, Luke Entwistle and Andreas Ivagora alongside me. Just a, a quick note, gentlemen, this is a, a great little stat for you. 62 goals already scored in the first two match days of Ligue 1 this season and the last time that uh, we had an average higher than the 3.26 goals per game we've had this season was back in 1977-78. Luke, not even a twinkle at that stage. I was a toddler and Andreas going through a midlife crisis. Big contributions to that uh, goal average. Paris Saint-Germain, who've already hit 10 against uh, top-flight opposition this season. Clermont, who beaten 5 nil. In the opening game of the campaign, how would Christophe Galtier's side fare on their new coach's home debut on Saturday against Montpellier? And it is a penalty to Paris Saint-Germain. He ended the season with a hat-trick here against Metz. Kylian Mbappe, can he get this current term underway from 12 yards and put Paris ahead? He can't, not this time. It's a wonderful flying stop by Jonas Omla. Hakimi steals in, takes the ball off Verratti. Kylian Mbappe, and it's made its way in. Fale Sacco with the deflection. Neymar it is then from 12 yards to double the Parisian lead. And he makes no mistake whatsoever. The stutters run up so difficult to read. Mbappe for Hakimi. Into the middle, Neymar with a brilliant diving header. Makes it three. Spend of possession this for Olivier Daloglio's men. Savanier, the ball into Kazri. Way with the strike, it breaks for Kazri. And the flag has stayed down on the far side. Montpellier have one back. Neymar's corner. Left by Vitinha. Mbappe has his goal. Not much of a smile. But he's off the mark for the season. Renato Sanchez. A goal with his second touch as a PSG player. And now it is 5-1. I'll tell you what. That's a fine finish from Renato Sanchez. Into the top corner, difficult one for Omla. That's a nice ball over the top for Chato. Chato's in here, and Chato's finished brilliantly. It's 5-2 now. It's raining goals on the capital. Amel Tongi on the comms there for, for us for that one. Andreas, you saw this one. Paris Saint-Germain, the first time we saw the uh, MNM on the pitch together this season after Mbappe's injury and his suspension for the, for the Trophée de Champions. How did they look? Well, we'll start with a positive. Um, they were brilliant. I mean, they completely dominated uh, Montpellier. I mean, you remember a long time ago for me when you were playing in, in uh, the school playground when you're 11, 12 years old and a couple of big kids come who, from the school team and completely dominated and played just between themselves and scored five goals. It was a bit like that. I mean, they were toying with Montpellier who didn't just park the bus. They sort of put a fleet in front of the goal. Not that it made any difference. I, I've got a habit of when I commentate um, getting a piece of A3 paper and like listing the chances. And on the left, I literally ran out of space for PSG. On Montpellier, I had two lines. You know, that's all they did. How they got two goals is a miracle. They barely crossed the line. Um, we're going to talk about Mbappe in a, in a, in a second, but uh, Neymar's getting back to his very best, including one diving header that would have made uh, Olivier Giroud proud. I mean, really superb stuff. He looks much fitter. Uh, Christophe Galtier is saying that since uh, the 4th of July, which is, I think, when they started training again, he's been exemplary. Um, he likes Messi often on the pitch. You know, they get on really well. And, and just a brilliant performance all round. Five could have been 
twice as that. They scored 10 goals. I think that's the first time in 60 years that uh, a team has started with 10 goals in two games at the top flight. So from that point of view, it couldn't have gone better. Yeah, the debut goal for Renato Sanchez as well after he came came on uh, late on. But penalty gate 2.0, boys. Now, Kylian Mbappe missed the penalty early on. There was a, a one scored by Neymar, who's who's got uh, six goal involvements in the first two rounds. That's a, that's a first, apparently, since Opta started covering the stats of, of, of Ligue 1 back in 2006. But oh, well, this guy, yeah. Mbappe didn't look happy. He scored, but he didn't. He did not look happy. What's going? What's going on here? Well, this goes back to the playground because, for some bizarre reason, there was an argument about who was taking the penalty. So, just to explain, uh, Mbappe took the first penalty, which was saved. Uh, they got another penalty, uh, which he expected to take. I mean, he got the ball, and and going back to your lip reading uh, discussion, there he was saying Labal, Labal, it's for me, and Neymar was like, no. Um, According to the list, apparently, that Galtier has put up, a second penalty will go to, to Neymar. Look, PSG are going to get a lot of penalties this season, Ian. That's, that's not no surprise. So this really has got to be sorted out. Um, but here we have to explain throughout the whole game and before the game, Kylian Mbappe just had this very strange expression. It was a bit like someone just come back from holiday and found that he left his freezer door open for three weeks. He was just glum <laughs> when there was a penalty, no expression. When he scored, no expression. It was just strange. And now the, the social media has gone a bit crazy saying it was because of this penalty. But I th- I think it surely must have been something else because he was not in a good mood from even before the game started. Um, just to explain very quickly that Neymar on Twitter liked a tweet that said something along the lines of, you know, Neymar's a brilliant penalty taker. Why is him taking the penalties? And then it all spiraled, spiraled out of control. So... We're going to be hearing a lot of that. And there's a, a big, big discussion about how the, those front three link up. Just a quick stat for you, because I know you love your stats, Ian, is that Messi and Neymar had 21 passes between them, whereas Neymar and Mbappe just nine. And there was one uh, little clip that went viral where the, the, the two South Americans were sort of playing on one side of the pitch and Mbappe just seems to walk off with his head down, not even running. So this is uh, certainly uh, a story that's going to run and run uh, over the next week or so. Luke, given that PSG have hit, have hit 10 in two games already in, in Liga this season, they've already got a two-point lead at the top of the table, by the way. The only side in Liga after two matches to have a 100% record this season is PSG's toughest opponent, it, domestically, going to be themselves. Yeah, I mean, the opening signs are, are quite ominous, really. Um, you'd have to back them too easily to win the league, but they do seem to be... Uh, they're certainly not self-imploding, but it does feel as though we've been perceiving PSGs through these kind of rose-tinted glasses in, in recent weeks because of everything that's going on behind the scenes. Everyone's quite complimentary of, of obviously the, the appointment of Luis Campos and, and also of Christoph Galtier, even though that's not, you know, there's no uh, kind of unanimity on, on that, but everyone believes that that's kind of a positive step away from this bling-bling era. Um, but it seems that remnants of the past are still kind of causing issues potentially at PSG. Um, few rumours, I, I know a few journalists have, have been um, reporting that there's a few issues between Neymar and Mbappe already. Um, should that be the case, that that's a worrying sign. Um, but yeah, it, it feels as though they need to get over these little uh, inner squabblings to kind of uh, fully flourish this year. And I know that... Um, former Mets manager Antonetti was, was on Canopoulosis um, this week talking about um, Christophe Galtier, who said he feels as though um, being at PSG is it's like walking on, on eggshells, uh, which certainly seems to, to be the case with, with this latest kind of little, little squabble, I think is all we can call it for now un, until something more definitive comes out. But um, yeah, not a positive sign to have that second game week against Montpellier. You're already a goal up and then you've got this little on-pitch argument it's not the best look yeah coming back to the eggshells perhaps they, they they could brand those as well to try and help fit in with their financial fair play but just a here's an interesting stat for you do, do you know who's got the best penalty rate scoring ratio out of Neymar and Mbappe I would guess Neymar Neymar yeah, yeah. it is Neymar 82 percent he's got 22 of the 25 he's taken since since 2017 that's more than any league arm player um Mbappe he's not bad he, he's on 80 percent 17 of a 21. Do you know who's got the, the best penalty ratio in the PSG squad? Though, Messi. Of anyone who's <clears throat> taken more than one or Messi. two. 
It's Sergio, Sergio ah, Ramos. Good point. Sergio Ramos, 85%. Um, Messi's down at 78%. But isn't this something that can just um, be cleared up by Galtier? He can go public and say, look, it's a bit like the goalkeeping situation where you say there's a goalkeeper for the league and a goalkeeper for the cup. You can just say, look, this is our penalty taker. So I'm I'm surprised that a, a disciplinarian and, and such a good coach as Galtier has, has let it come to this. Surely, yeah, there's a decision to be made there. And, you know, just cut and dry. You have a list. You have a, a hierarchy. And you stick to it. I, I think that's surely something that he's going to do going forward. And especially, I mean, you kind of forget Sergio Ramos a little bit there. But, um, I mean, you don't want to add another ego to the mix. So I think the sooner that that gets clarified uh, officially within the squad, I think the better for everyone involved. Interesting game coming up for Galtier next next weekend. He goes to, to Lille, where, of course, he, he led them to the, to the Ligue 1 title at PSG's expense uh, a season or so, or so back. He'll have to make a change. Vitinha picked up another yellow card. He's going to be suspended uh, after three yellow cards in his first three competitive appearances for PSG. So uh, an unwanted hat-trick for the Portugal midfielder. Paredes, who at one stage, and perhaps still at this stage, looked like he was going to be heading to to, to Juventus. Um, just a quick word about the, the loft boys. Um, this is a word that gets used a lot in, in, in French football. Uh, could Perhaps, Luke, could you just explain... What on earth a, a, a League One loft is, and uh, PSG's is is pretty full right now, isn't it? I actually don't know this expression of a loft. I've not been here long enough. I was like, please don't come to me, Ian. But there we go. <laughs> I only found out what no. it was a week ago. Thing is, this, this this term it's it's really new because you know I actually asked my wife this a week ago. She didn't have a clue what it was. It's a sporting term, and it means um, players who are unwanted and they're put upstairs. And it, it is actually very interesting because under their contract, these players have to be treated in the same way. They have to have access to training facilities, nutrition, uh, medical services, whatever it is. So at PSG, you have two different training groups. And the second one has these sort of unknown players who've never won anything like Draxler, you know, and so on. Uh, but but they... they <laughs> you mean apart from the World Cup? Uh, Do you mean apart, apart from the World apart Cup? Apart from the World Cup, League, uh, God, the you World know, Cup. Uh, obviously joking. I mean, I mean that 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 secondary group could probably win Liga on its own. Um, but they, they, so they, they come to work every day, let's put it that way. Um, they clock in, they train, but they have no or very little contact with the first team. And some of them take it, you know, okay. Some of them really don't take it well at all. Um, so it's quite an interesting issue for the clubs, but uh, Monaco have a loft and Marseille have a, have a loft as well. Yeah, Ander Herrera's in the in the PSG loft. Tilo Kera, who may well be on his way to, to West Ham. Uh, Idris Gay, African champion as well. Looks like he may head back to, to Everton. Another move, and this is an interesting one for me, Keylor Navas. Now, obviously, obviously, he was not going to be happy as the number two goalkeeper at PSG, but he looks to be on his way out. But PSG do need a super quality backup goalkeeper. Now, Sergio Rijo is, isn't a bad goalkeeper, but he's not on the level that PSG are going to need should Heaven forbid something happened to, to Gigi Donnarumma, isn't he? Yeah, that, that's a good point. And Galtier uh, pointed out that Navas is a special case because he he has said that he's such a great professional that he could probably walk into uh, almost every team in, in club football. He was really good last year. I, th- I think the only reason he's not playing is because he's obviously much older than Donnarumma and PSG looking for the future. So he's being treated, uh, I don't know what's between a first floor and a lofty and uh, you, you have to help me out in that he's, <laughs> a mezzanine he's, he's in, in the, the mezzanine he's in the mezzanine being treated as a as a as a kind of special person who is probably going to leave Who, whoever buys uh, Navas I think they've got a very good goalkeeper on their hands he'd be a good buy and just just a quick uh, bit more transfer speculation L'Equipe the, the French sports daily here went large shall we say on Marcus Rashford last week now PSG are looking for a defender they're looking for a midfielder they're looking for a forward Luke Marcus Rashford? Uh, seems like a move that actually really suits every single party, honestly. I mean, you look at the mess of Manchester United and, and we're not going to go into the details really of, of Manchester United, but they're a club that are in a complete mess currently and most of the players there haven't really progressed in recent years. I think that some young players may potentially look to get out of that situation. Maybe amongst them is Rashford who has kind of stagnated in the last couple of years, but there is clearly a player there um, PSG know that all too well from uh, from 2019, of course, when he when he scored that long range free kick in the, in the Champions League round of 16. So 
PSG have, have bad memories of him. Um, but if they do get him, I don't think they'll really be getting that player necessarily. I think he's one that's currently slightly low on confidence, but one who they could really build that confidence back up. And you look at his pace, his kind of his physical attributes, and you put that alongside what Mbappe already offers. I think you've got a, a very, very frightening forward line there. So I, I, I think it's one that could really work out well for, for all parties, should, um, should it actually happen. Well, he, it seems to me, though, he could build his confidence back up on the training pitch because he's not going. He's surely not going to play very much, is he, Andreas, if he, if he does come to PSG? Well, I mean, it depends how they juggle their pack uh, in Champions League weeks. But no, he's not going to play in the Champions League if that front three are fit. So I think it's a bit of a curious one to me. I think it smacks a little bit more of a sort of marketing buy for PSG in a a big name and, you know, they like to bring people over from the Premier League. I, I'm a bit sceptical about whether it's going to happen, Ian. Like you're you're sceptical about many things, Andreas. So that's um, that's, that's that's pretty much par, par for the course. You were you were fairly enthusiastic, I have to say, about Ismaili's goal for <laughs> Lille against Nantes. That was the, the Friday night opener. Moses Simon getting on the score sheet uh, for, for Nantes, who quite frankly got away with this one, didn't they? Uh, mostly thanks to to Alban Lafont. It was it ended one one. Ismaili coming off the bench on his debut to score what was Lille's five thousandth competitive goal. The first first Lille debutant scorer since as a substitute since since Steve Okarigi in uh, February twenty thirteen. But I think the story of this one really, as as he was against Angers the week before in the nil nil draw, is is Alban Lafont fourteen under twenty one caps. Are we looking at an inclusion in the France senior squad now for for the World Cup? I, I, I mean, Andres, how how good was he? Remy Cabella said he was he and he was he plays for Lille. Said he was Lafon was 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 fantastic. Oh, he was world class. He was absolutely brilliant. He pulled off three absolutely incredible saves. Uh, I've seen him. You know, it's not the first time I've seen him do that. Uh, have that kind of performance. Um, he's got to be on the plane to Qatar, even if he's not the first choice. He's for me, he's he's the future of French goalkeeping. Nantes have got a hold on to him um, because they've lost a couple of players more at the other end of the pitch. But um, you know, he's their leader, he's their captain. Uh, he's still he's still young. Uh, beaten by Ismaili, and uh, before I was commentating that match, I looked to get a bit of information on Ismaili. I couldn't find anything. He hasn't played any football actually in 2022, uh, coming from Shakhtar. And it was a very, very hot night, and it was like 32, 33 degrees. And uh, in the when he was warming up, he actually looked absolutely exhausted before the match started. He's, I think carrying a bit of timber is is the vernacular in your part of the world. <laughs> he, he, you know, he, he wasn't match fit. He was exhausted. The game hadn't started. He came on in the second half, and after ten minutes, he wanted to go off. He he, he was just he, he was he looked exhausted, sweat pouring down. Uh, and then he suddenly produced this brilliant goal with a one-two and, and knocking it past uh, Lafont, which takes some doing. So, uh, one to look out for is Miley. I was very impressed with Lille. Um, they conceded that goal. They totally dominant. You know, they've lost loads of players as well. They've, they've got some work to do before the end of the um, the end of the month. And and Fonseca, who cut a very very um, uh, elegant figure, you know, not not a bead of sweat coming off him. Um, his sort of designer shirt, not a hair out of place. He he really looks to have settled into league out. Very well indeed. So I'm interested in seeing Lille uh, over the next few months. So hopefully they can get a, a defender in, maybe a forward in, because they've, they've just lost uh, Anana as well to Everton, as well as Botman, as well as some other uh, big players for them. And it's going to be a big match next week. Uh, big, big test for Fonseca. I mean, I don't think he'll he'll end up getting anything from the match, but it'll be interesting to see how he approaches that game. Uh, just, to, just to come back to, to Lafont quickly, if anybody's not really aware of him, he, he's 23, he's got around 250 competitive first-team appearances already. Played for Fiorentina, but mostly started to lose when he was 16. Um, and yes, you're right, Andreas. This this is, this is along with Mike Mignon, who's, uh, who's not exactly old either. He's mid-20s. Surely uh, Deschamps takes those two, along with Hugo Lloris, uh, to, to Qatar. Although, although Deschamps does like to have a, a bit of experience, uh, Steve Mondonda didn't have the best uh, weekends, you may have you may have seen Jean-Michel Olas's tweets about uh, how unhappy he was at Mondonda coming out and and absolutely clattering um, a Monaco player. More of more of that one a little bit later. Got taken off at half time. Did Mondonda and uh, Mondonda only got a booking. Uh, Anthony Lopez the previous week absolutely smashing into an Ajaxio player and uh, getting a red card. More on that a little bit later. 
Just a, a quick word as well, um, Andres, for about Jonathan David. Uh, how did, how did he look? He was good, and he's got a new role. He's playing down the right, uh, which is a bit ironic because last year he was a bit sort of isolated and, and cut a bit of a lonely figure as a centre forward. Um, he's playing down the right, and and has done really well. Scored goals in preseason, scored goals uh, on on match day one. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if, uh, how that translates into the national team. But he he's getting up and down uh, the right hand side. Um, He's been told by his coach that that doesn't mean he's not supporting whoever the centre forward is. And he did that. So it's a, it's a big work rate, but he's been described by Fonseca as, as one of the most intelligent players um, that he's played with, uh, that he's coached. So um, a big role for David. And he's another one they absolutely have to keep for me, Lille, uh, in this transfer window. You're listening to Andreas Evagora and Luke Entwistle from the beautiful Côte d'Azur on Le Beaujeu. Please do rate us on the all the usual podcast platforms and you can get in touch with us too we've got a our very own twitter account at league one podcast or via email at league one podcast at gmail.com and those are the means by which you can contact us for our deja who competition you know the drill by now surely but there is a little twist this season we're giving away a league Un shirt every month but to go into the draw to win, you have to answer one of the month's Deja Who's correctly. And in the last episode of every month, there'll be an extra bonus question that you have to get right to to win the ultimate prize. So here is this week's clue. A child prodigy with my boyhood club, I was a talented and precocious goalscorer and won the French Ligue 1 Championship as well as losing two Coupe de France finals. However, a recurrent knee problem meant my burgeoning career never reached the dizzy heights it was promised, although I still earned two caps for France, scoring on my debut. After playing for five French clubs and one overseas side, I moved into coaching with mitigated success. I coached my boyhood club back to European football after a 26-year absence, but my only coaching silverware was a Swiss cup. Who am I? And what Ligue 1 record did I lose to my teenage teammates well blank looks uh, all round uh, including including on my face this morning at uh, Robbie Thompson dipping into uh, into Google quite seriously there <laughs> to get that amount of detail and uh, good luck to you if you're trying to get into that draw for for that league and shirt remember you can contact us at league one podcast on Twitter or via email league one podcast at gmail.com Com. Right, plenty more action to get into, and uh, this is the one that Luke has been looking forward to. Monaco against Rennes at the Stade the Sunny, as usual, Stade Louis de on Saturday evening. Andy Scott was in the commentary booth. Terrier battling for the ball, he's on the free kick uh, here, and the referee reaching for the card. It's a red card. Shown to Yusuf Fofana after just 14 minutes here. Philippe Clement cannot believe it. Picked up by Golovin. Tries to find Mbolo in the middle and Mondanda catches the Monaco striker. And a penalty is given with Wissam Ben Yedder off. It is Axel Dizassi who steps up to take the spot kick and Mondanda with the save. Absolutely remarkable. Here come Ren again with Flaviante to the new boy Calimoendo. Arno Calimoendo trying to pick out Bourijo. Might just break for Laborde who tucks it into the net. Monaco appeal in vain for the offside flag. And Ren get the breakthrough. Ren uh, looking pretty comfortable. Oh, Alimdar. A horrible mistake by the substitute goalkeeper and he's gifted Monaco an equalising goal just when you were beginning to wonder if Rennes were going to cruise towards the victory here. Breland Bolo takes full advantage. So a draw then, Luke, for Philippe Clement's side following on the back of that slightly streaky win against Strasbourg. Uh Champions League hangover, perhaps after that defeat to, to to PSV in midweek. I mean that that is a huge blow. A second successive season now without the Champions League. Did you feel that 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 did carry on over into that game against Rennes on Saturday? 
It's so hard to say um, when the game was, uh, I think you could say, ruined as a spectacle, um, even though what happened afterwards, after the use of Fafana red card, of course, I'm talking about in the 15th minute, um, there was actually a game after it, which was maybe not expected. I think you expected Ren to kind of uh, bulldoze him a little bit. That didn't happen. Um, but yeah, obviously a, a huge, huge blow for them to miss out on Champions League two years in a row. I, I think that everyone's looking back to that 96th minute Lawrence equaliser in the final game of last season and thinking... You know, so close yet, yet so far. Um, I'd say in those two matches against PSV, they were better in, in both of those games, um, at least for, for large large sways of, of both of those matches, and then didn't get the results again. So, yeah, very, very fine margins. Uh, I think the important thing is, and, and Philippe Clement uh, referenced it, is uh, just getting over it as quickly as possible, because even though, of course, he wasn't manager there last season when they had that disappointment, uh, his evaluation of it was that they they lived in that emotion of that defeat against Shakhtar Donetsk last year for for too long, and that seeped into their, their league form, and basically derailed their 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 whole campaign. And it was only through a miraculous uh, last ten games that they managed to salvage something notable from it. And obviously, uh, that was Champions League playoff, and uh, it's not happened for them again. So the sooner they get over that and uh, and move on, it, the better. But the the Initial signs against Ren are positive, as I say, um, only 15 minutes of 11 versus 11. And then after that, it was, it was, a, it was a very uh, good display, showed a lot of solidarity, uh, to use uh, Clement's words, to, to, <laughs> to, get the, uh, to get the draw, which I, I think was, was warranted on, on the balance of play. Well, Philippe Clement should be pretty careful because uh, he, he, he surely will know that it's thanks to that sticky start under Niko Kovac last season that, that he got that job. So... And, and and given how quick Monaco have been to hire and fire and hire and fire in in recent seasons, uh, let let's hope let's hope not for Philippe Clement's sake. He's he's done a fabulous job. But Monaco stretching back to last season unbeaten in twelve. But yeah, Fafana's red card fifteen minutes in. Now, Ben Yedder goes off as, as as the man sacrificed. Monaco get a penalty. Axel Disassi takes it. Now. The, my question is, this is penalty gates 2.2 all of the weekend because Alexander Golovin was on the pitch. Why isn't he taking it? No, let's give it to the centre-back. We give the corners and the free kicks to Golovin, but let's give the penalty where you probably should score to our centre-back. Um, discuss. Yeah, so, I mean, we can go back to the red card first because obviously it's all intertwined. The, the Fafana red, the Steve Mandandi yellow... Um, I thought that the red was quite harsh, especially so early in the game. It, and there was a, a pretty identical incident in the Ajaccio match, if I correctly remember, that was given as a yellow. And once you set a very low bar for what constitutes a red card, I don't know how you can then go to and look at that Steve Mandanda challenge and say that that isn't also red. I think even in obviously ordinary circumstances, last week it was a red card for Anthony Lopez for Lyon. Um, I think that is a red anyway, but especially since you set such a low bar, you, you have to give that as a red. But then the sense of Axel Disassi taking the uh, taking the penalty, it was something that we talked about in, in the post-match press conference. And uh, Clement said that there's a clear hierarchy in terms of, of the penalty takers. It's Wissam Ben Yedder, who wasn't on the pitch. It's Breland Bolo, who'd received the blows to the head, so wasn't feeling up to it. And then it's Kevin Volland, who also wasn't on the pitch. And he said after that, it was about taking responsibility. Axel Disassi took responsibility. Apparently, he slots them away in training. Um, that's another thing, isn't it? <laughs> uh, he also said that Axel Disassi scores plenty of goals in training. And of course, he did actually score. Um, he has actually scored already this season. So there's maybe an element of truth to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are lots of other very good candidates on the pitch to, to take that. I mean, Golovin is, is the go-to option Um Interesting to see if you'll get one again. But, I mean, just on De Sassi, after having missed that penalty, uh, he did really bounce back in that match, put in a very good performance and, and was a very kind of a essential element of, of why Ren just struggled to break down Monaco, really. You, you mentioned Brilan Bolo, uh, who came in in the summer from Borussia Mönchengladbach. This, this stat isn't really all that interesting, but it does feature a brilliant name. And Bolo, the first Swiss player to score in Liga for Monaco since... Umberto Barberis, which I think I may change my name to. Back in, uh, he played for Monaco back in 1980 uh, to to 83. A quick word though on uh, on Ren, perhaps uh, 
Gaetan Laborde with a goal on his 200th the Ligue 1 appearance. Of course, had a brilliant season last season. Ren, very, very good going forward last season, but it's a sticky start. Defeated in uh, in the derby and an own goal last weekend at, at home. 1-1 here. Um, they've got one win in their last six away, stretching back to last season. That does not sound like the sort of form that we would expect from a Ren side who's who's potentially tipped as a as a top three finisher. More more worryingly, perhaps for Bruno Genesio, they've conceded in each of their last twelve games away. How did Ren? How did Ren look, Luke? Yeah, I mean, I, I was quite surprised by them uh, in a negative sense because we were lyrical about that side all the way through uh, last season, especially towards that running. Uh, and offensively, there was no one more exciting to watch. It, it was the team to watch in the game for for most of last season. Uh, my in in the preview podcast, I did uh, back Lovro Maya for a player of the season, so uh, I'm slightly invested in, in that coming off. That was bold. it was very bold. I just didn't want to go for a PSG player, you know. Um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, now it doesn't look great. But they've still got that great uh, attacking line, and obviously Calimundo came on in the second half. So really, they've got all the components to to be very very threatening, and they were just very very blunt for the whole match, really. And it, it was really surprising to watch they. I mean, obviously, ten against eleven, they they look defensively pretty solid, especially given that you know you're talking about a new centre back pairing of Joe Rodon and Antiata. It's 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 very new, um, so I think that's something to to build on. But um, yeah, last season it looked great, and this season it looks a little bit creatively defunct, and it, it looks like they're struggling to to break through. And, and Monaco, let, let's be honest, they weren't really um, they're not a low block inside. So when they come up against some of those low blocks. I am a little bit worried. Uh, just a little uh, kind of side note, I, they did really uh, drop off. I'm not sure if it was an element of uh, presumptuousness on their part after the red card. So I'd say for the first 10 minutes, 15 minutes, um, Ren's press was very, very intense. Uh, they starved Monaco possession. They were dominating the play. Um, and I'm not sure if it was a change in shape after the after the red card and, and the subsequent substitutions. But from that point onwards, the the intensity of the press dropped off enormously. Monaco seemed to be able to play out of their own half. And um, yeah, it was at that point that, that the level dropped. But uh, worrying signs for them. And Bruno Genesio said it as well, which I was quite surprised about, was saying about how um, they still got their heads in, in last season, and which which is odd, especially I, d- I didn't think it was that traumatic a season. Um, I don't think they were ever favourites for that third place. Um but apparently, um, yeah, struggling to get over last season's disappointment, which um, they could do with getting over that pretty quickly. Yeah, they, they they certainly they certainly do need to just they're just above, believe it or not, they're just above the relegation zone, which at, at this albeit early stage of the season. But remember, there's four teams that go down. I'm not suggesting that Ren are going to be among the relegation sides. Uh, well, you, you would certainly think not. But uh, on current form, they're they're right down there. Lorient. You would have expected to be down there as well, but they didn't get to play this weekend. Their game against Lyon was called off due to the state of their pitch at the at the Moustoir, where they'd held the Inter-Celtic, Inter-Celtic excuse me, festival uh, this weekend uh, or, or this week. Uh, that game called off, much to much to Lyon's uh, chagrin. One game that did get played was at Troyes, where Rhys Healy was on target as Toulouse picked up their first win, the second division champions last season under Philippe. Montagne beating Trois three goals to nil and uh, Toulouse actually looking a very, very handy side as they go forward. There was a, a point for Auxerre who uh, joined Toulouse in, in, in getting promotion, but they threw away a two-goal lead at home to Angers. A first point as well for Ajaxio. I have to say I'm uh, very much looking forward to getting sent to, to Corsica for a commentary this season. Uh, Ajaxio nil-nil at home to Lens. There was a draw as well at the Allianz Riviera. Uh, just along from where Luke is is joining us from right now, Nice against Strasbourg. Probably the big news of this one: Kasper Schmeichel making his his Nice debut. Uh, gentlemen, did you did you manage to catch this one? I, I did catch a bit of uh, that match. Uh, he's settled in. He's there with uh, Aaron Ramsey, of course. And well, it's a, it's a strange time for Nice. I mean it. It, it it could sort of go either way. They started so well last year, then they dropped off a bit. Um, Lucien Favre, I think, is a, is an excellent man to bring in. Um, seems like a very decent guy. He's got lots of well wishes. I think it's just one of those 
very hard to say. And again, going back to the transfer windows, but it's very hard to talk about um, how Nice will do before that transfer window is up. I think they want to bring one or two players in. They were talking about bringing Cavani in. Uh, the French media was was reporting that, which would be an interesting one. So I think we just got to wait and see a little bit for Nice, although, although Luke will follow them perhaps closer than me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a, a mood shift at, at, at Nice, which is positive. Um, Galtier, I don't think, was everyone's cup of tea, even though he, he comes with uh, reputation. Um, and Favre is obviously adored amongst fans from, from his last uh, period at the club. Uh, yeah, ju- just to add to that, uh, I think it's still all about the transfer window and what they do from, from here on in. Uh, desperately, desperately in need of a striker. Um, at the minute, you're looking at that team and thinking, where are the goals coming from? Obviously, under the law had a, a spectacular into last season. I think he got two hat-tricks in his final three games. Um, so he he's going to be important for them, but they need someone to share that load. Um, lots of rumours, uh, but they need to get someone in the door ASAP, I think, uh, because they, they need a source of goals that's going to be consistent and that's going to uh, bear, bear the burden of, of, of getting them, hopefully, some kind of European football next season. Yeah, Kasper Dolberg has, has, has been sidelined so far and has had a number of, of health and injury problems over, over the last year or so, and he's not really a 20-goal-a-season 20 striker either, is, is, is he either. Um, I'd, I'd fear slightly for Edinson Cavani, though, if he comes in, because you, you remember penalty gate, the original penalty gate uh, back in the day, as, as it was. And Andy Delors on the penalties for Nice. He scored one against Strasbourg. I wouldn't fancy, I wouldn't fancy going up against him, trying to get the ball off him. Uh, Kevin Gamero with the equaliser for Strasbourg. Uh, Kasper Schmeichel uh, notably making a, a good number of saves in that one. It could have ended uh, pretty nastily for, for Lucien Favre's side. One more game to bring you before we, we head to our final feature match. Clermont, uh, congrats uh, to them. They were 2-0 down at Reims at half-time. Reims got an early red card in the second half and Clermont coming through to win 4-2, which puts into context Marseille's 4-1 win last week against Reims, which wasn't as easy as the scoreline suggests. And Igor Tud, after that first win, um, headed... About pretty much about as far as as you can as as a Marseille player up to Brest this weekend, and uh, this was the game that I commentated. Marseille's first corner of the game. Think he's under with it, but he'll whip it in with that left foot. Well, that goes short, close, lovely ball, and a chance for Nuno Tavares. Brilliantly worked from Marseille, and it comes. Marseille head away, a shot comes in, oh what a hit from Pierre Lismelu to equal the scores up here, what a strike from Lismelu. It couldn't have sat up more invitingly and he couldn't have hit it more sweetly. So it ended 1-1, Marseille relatively impressive in the first half, they brought Alexis Sanchez off the bench at half-time and proceeded to be absolutely outclassed by Brest in the second half. Jeremy Ledua-Ron-Ron-Ron, missing some great chances, hit the post as well. At just Andres knows which song I'm talking about, yeah. it's the Crystals. Um, but it, it, just, just on a side note, and not entirely important, but it always just amuses me, Ledua-Ron-Ron, except he's called Ledua-Ron, I just want to always call him Ledua-Ron-Ron after that 1960s song. And there's also Paul Lerola. Every time I hear his name, I just hear my Sharona. Anybody else? No? Anyway, <laughs> there we go. These are the sorts of things that pass through, pass through my brain. <laughs> it's been a long <laughs> while I've commented. Leduron hit a post yeah. uh, with a header in the first half. He missed two great chances in, in, in the second half. Pierre Lismelu got the equaliser, which was an absolutely stunning goal. If you haven't seen it, check that one out. It, he hit it and it stayed hit. I think we can we can we can say. Nuno Tavares though got the goal for for Marseille. A real training ground routine uh, with uh, with the corner from uh, Sungizunda and Jonathan Close involved as well. Tavares, the first defender apparently to score in each of his first two league appearances since. I'll be impressed if you know this one, guys. Emir Spahic, who loved the red card with Montpellier <laughs> back in back in <laughs> back in two thousand two thousand and nine. Now. Let's just have a quick word. You're a you're an Arsenal fan, Andreas. I think that's yeah. well documented. Yeah. Nuno Tavares last season, I think he made about 28 competitive appearances 
for Arsenal. He's gone out on loan to Marseille, said that the success of Saliba, who's obviously gone back to Arsenal and done pretty well, apart from that own goal this weekend, and Matteo Guendouzi, who's who stayed at Marseille, their success with Marseille last season inspired him to move to, to Marseille this summer on loan. Marseille don't have an option on him, so it looks like Arsenal do want him back. On the evidence of the first two games, he, he looks very, very good going forward. He's got a goal against Reims. He got a goal against uh, against Brest last night as well. Uh, did you see any of him last season? Yeah, I, I saw a lot of him. He's good going forward. He made a lot of mistakes uh, defensively. Uh, he was really thrown in uh, at the deep end and famously taken off after half an hour in a, in a cup match uh, at Nottingham Forest, which just shot his confidence. So he, he definitely had to get out of North London. Uh, Marseille can't depend on him for goals, uh, as, as, as useful as a player he is. Sanchez, yeah, obviously another player I've seen really a lot of, uh, was a fabulous player. I mean, he carried Arsenal, <clears throat> excuse me, for two or three years. Brilliant uh, attitude, dynamic, pace, um, everything about him was brilliant. But, you know, that was really quite a long time ago. And I saw an interview with Pablo Longoria, the president, saying that, uh, you know, we want to bring in a star name, someone who's got loads of experience in the Champions League, which he has. I think he's played more than like 60 games in the Champions League. But I'm always a bit skeptical when you're bringing in like a profile instead of the actual player. He's like brought in maybe because of what he's done in the past. He barely played last year for Inter. He was in single figures. So I'm a bit concerned about Marseille. Um Although they've started okay, the new coach, I had a chat with a, 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 a colleague of mine from the, the Western Balkans, and he, he's known as a, a sort of very confrontational guy, Tudor, which, you know, in that part of the world is, is saying something, isn't it? It's not perhaps known for its diplomacy. Um, and he, he might rub up the Marseille players the wrong way. Uh, I think they're called the soldiers of San Paoli, some of them. You know, they, they, they really did buy into San Paoli's tactics, uh, well, some of them anyway. And you got to say, he had a really, you know, Marseille had a great season last year coming second. So, yeah, it's a bit curious that he left. I think he just left because he, he was fed up. There wasn't enough money coming in for transfers and so on. But Tudor, um, his last seven jobs have not lasted more than one year. And I don't expect this to be any different. Well, he sounds ideally suited for Marseille then, I have to say, because <laughs> they, they too, they, they too like to hire and fire with, uh, with regularity. Uh, I thought. The performance yesterday is a concern. You had Payet coming off the bench rather late on. You had Alexis Sanchez, who was anonymous. He's 34 in December. As you said, Andres, he was he was a very good player. I'm I'm not really sure that he's he's giving very much to Marseille right now. Uh, Milik just didn't get the service at all and was probably pretty fortunate not to get sent off too for swinging his elbows he did get booked once and, and got away with another one on, on, on Lise Melu in the in the first half uh, Marseille could have been in significant trouble Jonathan Close uh, with an assist um, 26 goal involvements now since August 2020 since he made his Ligue 1 debut he turns 30 in September does the does the new French international he he too will be looking to get on that plane to, to Qatar no defender in the top five European leagues has had more goal involvements uh, in the in the last two years, that's that's pretty impressive, and I think that's it. That is a very good signing for for, for Marseille. But it, it is interesting that San Paolo got frustrated because, uh, as far as I understand, Issa Cabore is going to come in on loan from from Manchester City, a right back. Um, it was on loan at Troyes last season. That will be Marseille's tenth arrival mm. of the summer. How, how many more players did did, did San <laughs> San Paolo want to want want to bring in? Um, Luke, uh, how how inspired are you by Marseille's transfer market uh, this this summer, and, and and in particular that huge the, the huge fanfare around the arrival of of Alexis Sanchez? Yeah, not not huge on all of their business. Obviously, Klaus is is the standout. He's the exception to the rule. I, I think that anybody who got got Klaus this this year was was going to be pretty happy. Uh, so I think he's the exception. But obviously, most of those are. Um, loans who well not most of them but some of them you think of Chenzi Gunda you think of Matteo Guendouzi so that's just stasis rather than kind of moving forward and the rest of it I've, I've been largely inspired by I mean Alexis Sanchez hasn't looked the same player since he was on the piano at, at Manchester United and uh, <laughs> it's fallen apart a little bit for him since then I understand the fanfare around him uh, big player uh, I think he'll kind of get in quotation marks Marseille 
Um, but I don't think he brings a lot different and I don't think that he's the same player he was. I think Marseille should really temper their expectations. And, uh, you know, we're talking about Sanchez and, and I just mentioned Shenji Kunda and I think they're a very, very similar profile in terms of what they offer. And uh, since Kunda is, is a young player who's looking to grow, you're kind of thinking, why are you hindering his progress through kind of this bombastic signing that you think is going to probably be a bit of a marketing hit? So it's, uh, it's a strange mm. one. Um, I mean, in, in the preview pod, one of my many hot takes was that uh, Marseille could miss out on, on European football this season, um, which uh, it was a bold one and, and I still think is a bold one because it, it's still a, a team full of some very good players. And, and we talk about Carson, we talk about um, Tavares and, and, and in those two, I'd say that only, Marseille, uh, only PSG sorry, have a more exciting set of wingbacks. So I think that could be a real source of creativity, right? you know, maybe not goals, but, but creativity. But uh, yeah, it's felt a little bit scattergun, the, the recruitment process, and uh, not wholly convinced by it, I'd have to say. And what's this number 70 he's wearing? Is that like the number of minutes he's going to play this season? Or I mean, what? Yeah, We were talking about numbers because the, the league has changed their rules so you can have any number until 99 now, can't you? So I, I don't know what Sanchez is, number 70, any idea? I don't <laughs> no, I, 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 I did, I did, I did read that Noah Fadiga, who didn't play for Bresciester because he's injured, he he wears ninety nine because his dad Kalilu, you may remember him from uh, from that excellent Auxerre side of the mm. the early early years of the millennium. I, I say Andreas, you may remember him. <laughs> I was already there. an old man at that stage. Yes. <laughs> I, I remember him. I remember him too. He wears ninety nine because his dad did uh, later on. It seems to me that it seems that the only number that's reserved for anybody is the number one, and that has to be a goalkeeper. Apparently, no, really. That's yeah, no, rule. that's true. But it has I mean, to be a yeah. goalkeeper. Everybody else can just can just go wild. Um, you you mentioned before we were we were talking, Andres. Who uh, just Hugo Ekatike? Uh, yeah, he's, he wears forty four. Why? Why is that? Ekatike's got the forty four because it's a palindrome. In other words, it goes backwards. So Ekatike spelt backwards as Ekatike, so he wanted the forty four. Um, I saw Mamadou Sacco come on. He wears the seventy five uh, because in France each department has a number. And he's very proud of being Parisian. It's interesting because Nasser El Khalafi, wasn't he saying a few weeks ago that he, he wants uh, lots of players from the Paris uh, PSG Youth Academy to be on the pitch at the end of matches. So he got his, he got his wish there with uh, Mamadou Sacco coming on. He actually got a brilliant rep- uh, uh, reception from the PSG fans. So he wears 75 because he's proud of being a Parisian. So, you know, that leaves lots of doors open. I think uh, Lacazette's wearing 91 because he was born in 91. I think it's that. So something to look out for for this season. I, I, I read that Lacazette got 91 because Paqueta has number 10, which was his number when he was at Lyon. <laughs> and he it's the nine plus one. It's the old, I think it was my, it was it, uh, Ivan Zamorano who did that when he when he went to Inter. And uh, Ren, the great Ronaldo was, was there and Ronaldo had the, the nine. And so I think Zamorano chose 18. And he put a little plus sign in the middle. <laughs> I thought it was quite it was quite nice. Check it check it out, kids. Um well that that pretty much wraps up the second weekend of Ligan Uber Eats action. And it just leaves us now to look forward to round three next weekend. So, just to round up the fixtures a little bit for you. Friday night, we kick off Leon against Troyes. That surely is one that, if Peter Bosch's side do not win, there will be ructions. Saturday, uh, Luke will be surely heading down to the Stade Louis II. Monaco against Lens. That could be interesting. Marseille against Nantes. Uh, Igor Tudor back at home. Will he get whistled once again on the evidence of last night showing perhaps... Sunday, uh, a raft of fixtures as per usual. Montpellier against Auxerre. Toulouse against Laurie. I'm interested to see again how Philippe Montagnier's side fare. Rennes against Ajaxio is the five o'clock game. Uh, quite a big uh, amount of pressure on Rennes. Just that single point from their opening two matches. They already dropped points at home to Laurie on a side that you'd expect to be around the relegation zone. Surely, surely they cannot do so again. They cannot afford to do so again at home to Ajaxio on Sunday evening. And then the uh, the big one of the weekend at the Stade pierre Mauroy Lille against Paris Saint-Germain. It's actually the, uh, the top two in the table as things stand. So, Luke, aside from the, uh, aside from the Stade Louis II? 
Aside from the sad Luda, I mean, there's only one place to be. Is it? It's it's Lille PSG, and a lot of that is just to do with uh, just um, playing style, really. I mean, Fonseca is kind of a gung ho manager. Uh, I expect a good match there against a free flowing PSG side. I think there'll be goals on on both sides, and uh, I think it should be a really really entertaining fixture. I think that Lille are, are kind of. Uh, a little bit of a, a surprise package so far this season and um, interested to see where they go uh, for the rest of the season. Andres? Yeah, I mean, from a football point of view, I'd, I'd agree with Luke. From a, a personal point of view, it is still very hot in France. I'd like to be by the sea, Ian. <laughs> so I'll go to Marseille, a uh, lovely stadium, lovely city, and, and, a, and a post-match, of course, um, pastis. Uh, but a nice place to be in the summer and, and you know, close to the sea. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested, very interested to see if Alban Lafont again can pull out all the stops. And I mean, Marseille last night against Brest were they should have lost that game, quite quite frankly. And I, I think Nantes are arguably a better side than Brest. Although Brest, I, I must admit, they've got some very very good good footballers. I don't think they should be underestimated. They're not going to finish. They're not going to be the surprise packages. They're not finishing in the t- the, the top five, but eleventh last season. I think they'll finish in the top half this season. They were they were really really good and have got some some excellent excellent footballers. I would uh, I'd probably join you at the at the velodrome, but um, seeing as I've banned Luke from the Stade Louis Deux, I'm going there because because uh, Monaco Monaco it's always it's always a delightful place to go the the, the, the Côte d'Azur and uh, I've I've got a bit of a soft spot as well for Lens because I I do like the way do like the way they play even if they have lost uh, even if they have lost Jonathan Close which. Which takes a, a little bit of the gloss off, but they're still a very attacking, attacking side. Great to see Seko Fafani still there. Um, hopefully, he'll still be there at the end of the transfer window, and, and we can continue in, to enjoy him in Ligue 1 Uber Eats for the rest of the season. Well, that wraps it up. Uh, my thanks to Luke Entwistle and Andreas Evagora, and to you for listening. And we'll be back next week. See you then. Bye for now. Neymar still. Oh my word! What a goal! Ajax delivery, Gendouzi's header, and the finish at the near post from Lucas Paqueta. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. A goal back. Messi again, this time maybe Messi's done.